is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to Decode, the Batuta Advocates political podcast where we talk about all things going on in the world of politics and tangential to the world of politics. This week it is the news from the trough segment where we wrap up what's been happening around the country, around the state and just in politics more generally, the goings on and what has been happening. My name is Wendell Hussey and I am joined by my colleagues and friends, Leslie Burley. And your Dave, Leslie, you're zooming in once again from down south in the bush capital of the country. How are you? I'm good. I've done my stretches. I've done my little warm-up. Mm-hmm. Vocal exercises. Yeah, you know, red leather, yellow leather, all of that mm. nonsense. You look like you haven't been drinking today. No. I haven't got into it early. Obviously, um, lunch beers down there, all those pubs that politicians go to. It's too cold to sit in a beer garden down here. Yeah, fair enough. Coat up. Dior Dave, mm. you doing well? Very well, thanks. Don't have that same problem of it being too cold up here in the Channel Country. It's beautiful no. weather. It's crisp. It's like a really nice, refreshing, crisp temperature, which uh, personally, it's probably my favourite time of year, actually. I know it gets dark early, which is a bit frustrating, but I, I like that crisp, cold temperature that makes you feel alive. Now, there is a bit to talk about this week. We're going to be talking about what's going on with the Liberal Party. We're going to do a bit of an update on The Voice and a preview of the budget that's coming in a couple of weeks' time, what big boy Jim's going to throw up in terms of his first federal budget. But before we get into that, we've got our clanger or our banger, depending upon which side of the fence you sit on, depending upon what you think about it. And it is this gem from Green's former Green senator, Lydia Thorpe. You know what I say? You know what I say to you? You know what I say to you? All I want to say to the black brothers there, and anyone that we're fighting, any black man that stands with a white little like that, you can all get too. How the can someone get in parliament like you? They've been oppressed all that life in this country, and you let this little dog you are Get out of my face. So that was a recorded altercation out the front of a nightlife venue uh, over the weekend. Certainly some interesting uh, listening there. Footage is also very good to watch as well. If you haven't seen it, I recommend you go and take a look at it. What do you reckon, Leslie Burley, clanger or banger? Banger. Banger. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair what enough. You, you, go, you go, Dave, and then I'll explain my reasoning. Oh, I was leaning towards banger, but I wanted to be the only one saying banger. So now I might go back to clanger. Okay. I'm, I'm happy okay. to go hard clanger on this. All right, start, a, start a culture war. Start a culture yeah. war. Then. I'm happy to lean into the culture wars on this one. Firstly, she's so pissed. So I don't know. She's just so pissed and got carried away here at some men out the front of an exotic dancing venue, I would say. And, yeah, she uses some very colourful language. She starts ripping into them. 
not behaviour you would expect from a politician or accept from a politician. And if it was any other politician, it would be like full-blown outrage and kicked out of a party. I mean, she's already left her party, so she's just Lydia Thorpe. <laughs> she's no longer a Green Senator anymore. She's got no uh, party to go back to and join. But, yeah, if this was anybody else, this would be all over the news and they would just be under so much scrutiny. But for Lydia... People are going like, oh, it's kind of pretty funny that she was like swaying at 3 a.m. abusing the fuck out of a couple of randoms on the street. But please, tell me. Tell me with the uh, the bangers. Yeah. Do you want my hot take fresh out of the Give oven? Give it to me. Mitts Let's on. hear it. Yep. I agree that maybe some different words could have been chosen. The whole penis size thing is a little 2015. Well, but- is that is that body shaming? Is that counting as body shaming? Yeah, probably. Or is it more but- of a metaphorical kind of thing that she's going for? Yeah, it's the metaphoric dick. Look, yeah. the thing is, this is my, my counter argument. Mm. I have been in situations where drunk dickhead men have said dickhead things to me and I've been like, guess what? I'm going to serve you a bit of your own medicine and I'm actually going to be a dickhead back to you because I'm fucking tired and I'm Mm. scared and I'm threatened and I'm actually just going to throw it back in your face. So I get it. Like I've seen that and I've been there. But also I have not been an Aboriginal woman. I have not been a black woman in this situation. She has claimed that they were harassing her. We don't know that. But if that is true, just pretend that that's true for a second. Then her response was, if you really take the venom out of, like, how it was presented, the words she said weren't actually that bad. Like, if you just read a transcript, it's like, you're being racist, you're being inappropriate, you have a small penis, go away. (laughs) Like, I really actually don't think it's as bad as what it looks like just because we associate her with, like, radical fighting and radical protest. I actually just think it's someone being like, oi, fuck off. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of with you on this one, Les. Okay. And, I mean, I see what you're saying, Wendell. If it was anyone else, there would be hell to pay for them. But this story is all centred around Lydia. There is not really anyone investigating too hard the into guys. what these guys did before. And and there's a whole group of them. Exactly. I don't want to make any generalizations about the types of people that attend these kind of venues and establishments because there were there are probably plenty of people out there who are very respectful and love to go to these places as a hobby, but there is a good chance that some of these men who are in these types of venues wouldn't be the most respectful of women. So and to a further extent, indigenous women as well. So, you know, I'll reserve my judgment till I hear the full yeah. story, which we probably never will. Okay. All right. I hear you guys and I get you. You also mentioned some of the things you're not, Les. You're also not a member of parliament. You're not paid to represent people and held to a quite a high standard. I have a hot um, take about that as well, too. Oh, you d- okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, see, that's what I would say. You're not, you're not a member of parliament. Um, no, I'm not. But also like the people who are, when, I, when we were researching this to find a soundbite last night, mm-hmm. Every single post that I found on Twitter was so toxically against her and like she should be fired. Da, 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 da. Not as many people came out and said stuff like that about like half the things politicians have said in parliament where they mm. have protections, where they have yeah. privilege. They didn't come out and say same the same things about 
politicians and staffers who have been accused of sexual assault or masturbating on desks. So I'm like, really, comparatively, someone having a little yell on a street? Actually, I don't care. <laughs> okay. No, yep. that's fair. That's uh, my look, hot take. Yeah. No, that's a hot take. I and, get you. And I think as well that if we are really talking about the types of people who represent the everyday Australians, how many of us have not been somewhere out on the street at 3 a.m. and got into a bit of a tiff, a bit of a yelling match with people that we thought might have been trying to intimidate us or trying to start a fight? You I know? don't know what you're talking about, Dave. I've never once got yeah. into a verbal altercation or physical altercation with anybody <laughs> whatsoever after dark. So I've definitely not been at Caxton Street during State of Origin <laughs> <laughs> and no, had feelings. Like, in a way, it's kind of good to see a representative of people carrying on like a pissed person at 3am at night. But I do think you should be held to a slightly higher standard. She could have also just kept walking. She was with her girl gang. Like she wasn't by herself. She was with a group of people. She was very pissed. She then continued to hang around and continue heckling and saying some hectic things to people. If it was anybody else, and I know she's overly scrutinised, but if it was anybody else, it would just like, there would be hell to pay for this. There'd be so many questions asked. And it wouldn't be tolerated. And I know that there are, you just mentioned there, examples of like appalling criminal behaviour. I'm not like that is appalling criminal behaviour and that should be condemned. I know this isn't as serious as that, but still just, I just think it's not a great look. She could have walked away. We'd expect anyone else to walk away. I just think that she has kind of made a meal of it. And I'm now wondering as well with all the mental health stuff, where we go with that, but won't touch on that too much. Um, But I'll just say one thing I'll just say on it. The you're marked, what she says to the guy at the end of the video, is pretty fucking hectic. <laughs> we know she associates with people who <laughs> like to ride nosy motorbikes that go vroom, vroom, vroom. For her to say to that guy, you're marked, that's a pretty fucking hectic thing. And I know she's just doing it. Well, I don't know, but I assume she's doing it because she's pissed at 3 a.m. in the morning. But it could just be like a, a bit of a footy term. Like yeah. your mark, it could be. You know? Yeah, yeah, your I'm mark. Mar- I'm marking you. you. I've got you. <laughs> I've got. I've got tall guy over there. Tall yeah. guy's mine. Yeah. Could be, but yeah. it also could be Both related to. Yeah, I yeah. think she has kind of gotten a bit lucky in the fact that if she was still a part of the Greens, or if this was anyone else that was part of a political party, there would be severe consequences. But mm. because essentially she's her own boss in a way. There's yeah. not really anyone above her who is on the same side as There's her. There's no yeah. HR. It's just her and a mirror. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> She's making thousands of dollars a day uh, working from home after seeing those ads. Yeah. Um, the the only person she has to answer to is her head noise the next morning. <laughs> Fuck. She would have had some serious the anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. Tuesday morning would have been pretty grim as well, I reckon. Oh, God. The flow been on there. effect. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, look, you guys win. Two, um, two bangers to one clanger. You guys take it out. <laughs> Banger from Lydia Thorpe. Now we move on to a major party and some news from the major party. The Libs, I'm going to say pretty close to a crisis, if not in a crisis right yeah. now, Leslie Burley. Yeah, they're feeling their feelings. They're, I was going to say they're figuring it out, but they're not. That's the whole problem, mm. actually. Yeah, look, they're at it again. Um, another Liberal Party Frontbencher has resigned. Karen Andrews, who was the shadow minister for home affairs, resigned from the front bench yesterday. Mm. Um, and this announcement came alongside a reshuffle of the entire shadow cabinet by opposition leader 
Peter Dutton. Now, Karen asked to speak to the manager about the issue that was concerning her, didn't get what she wanted, so she's left the front bench. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm never shopping here again. You have lost my business. Sorry for for my tired 2021 joke. No, she's going to get one of those haircuts where she has a long fringe and then sticky bits out the back with lots of highlights. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get those blonde streaks in there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, continue. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Look, she said it has nothing to do with the voice, but it is because she wants to retire from politics and not stand at the next election election which is in three years time so she's getting Mm. in early that's all i'm gonna say it must be nice to have a retirement plan because i have more hex debt than super so i have no (laughs) idea what that feels like well i hear if you're booking tickets for cruise ships and stuff the more further in advance you book it the cheaper it is so she's just planning it out yeah she's already got her passport application in that's (laughs) such a bullshit excuse isn't it like she could have just retired a year ago and just not run for the election again. I mean, maybe she needed to tick over pension-wise, but she could have just bailed out of politics 12 months ago. Yeah. Look, and most of the journalists that have spoken to her in the last 24 hours have asked similar questions along the lines of, you know, well, the timing is suspicious, mm. but she's she's held her ground. She said that's what she has left for. The shuffle was also prompted by former Shadow Minister for Indigenous Affairs and Shadow Attorney General Julian Lisa resigning from the front bench earlier this month. Now, he was very clear as to why he resigned, and it's because he wants to join the Vote Yes campaign Mm. for the referendum on the voice to Parliament, which we'll talk a little bit more about later in the episode. But it has caused a bit of a fraction in the party. There's this kind of vote yes versus vote no, and then some people Mm. in the middle who are like, I'm just waiting to hear my options and figure it out, which means that they probably are voting no, but they don't want people to think that they are. Yes. (laughs) We can make assumptions there. Dutton's reshuffle is as follows. So Jacinta Price has become the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Affairs, and she's very openly been campaigning no and is an Indigenous woman herself. Michaelia Cash is now the Attorney General, the Shadow Attorney General. She's back, Mm -hmm. baby. Yeah, she's going to storm right in with her. You know, she's so punctual in her walk. She's just going to be like, pew, pew, pew. Mm, mm. Yep. She's precise, everything she does. <laughs> yes, yes, she's known for being heavily PR trained and not saying anything bizarre at all. <laughs> James Patterson is going to be Shadow Home Affairs and Carrie Ann Little is Shadow Child Protection and the Pre- Prevention of Family Violence. Mm. Having James Patterson appointed to the Home Affairs Ministry kind of stood out for me because... As far as my research goes, he mostly identifies with the libertarian side of the Liberal Party. And so to have someone like him essentially in charge of state surveillance and things like that mm-hmm. might just conflict with his internal politics. But you I'll be he's got to see how that goes. Tape on the webcam. Oh, I think he's got some blue tack there. And I think he covers the self-checkout camera as well every time. He's he a WhatsApp-only kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. Bit mm. of signal as well. Definitely doesn't want TikTok on his device. Oh, God, no. No, that's mm. a threat to democracy. Look, speaking of threats to democracy, the Liberal <laughs> Party are struggling. They're struggling. And like we said, Andrews insists that this was a personal decision, but we can't help but look at the chaos that is happening. Mm. When she was interviewed this morning on ABC Breakfast, she was asked, you know, like, does the party need to change? She said yes. She said that there are things they need to do better. But she did say that Peter Dutton is extremely popular in Queensland. So there's hope for him 
still, and I actually did some research to fact check this because, you know, we're all in Queensland now and Mm. we all have feelings about this. And we could poll the room, but I looked a bit further than that. Peter Dutton is so popular in Queensland that he actually lost nearly four points in the last election in his seat of Dixon, winning by a huge 51% of the votes. Yeah. Just uh, over half. Not a resounding majority. And there's also... A lot more people in Australia other than just Queensland. Exactly. He's so popular in Australia that the Guardian Essential poll reported yesterday that he has a 44% disapproval rating. That doesn't include the neutral people. The approval rating Mm. is much lower than that. He's so popular that this morning the Resolve poll published that he has a net low of minus 28% in his approval rating in their poll, which is down from minus 11 last month. So he's gone down. Minuses are so wild. I find that so hectic about these approval ratings. And I kind of didn't actually know how they worked. I had to go and figure it out and wrap my head around it. It's It's the way that you add up the approval versus the disapproval and basically what the net is between those. And it's minus 28%. (laughs) <laughs> which is a lot of people disapproving of Yeah, him. and it, it was minus 11 a month ago, so it's more than doubled in a month. And yeah. the, the, I feel like the funny thing about that is he hasn't really done anything shockingly bad. Like, obviously, his leadership is in question and there's been turmoil within the party, but to lose 17 points in it's the space huge. of a month, you would mm. think he, you know, committed some sort of heinous crime. That, that he yelled at someone at a nightclub at 3 a.m. and marked <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, his approval would have gone up <laughs> in your guys' books. Look, he's also so popular that this is what happened this morning on Channel 9 when they introduced him for an interview. All right, well, things are going from bad to worse for Peter Dutton, whose personal approval ratings have fallen to the lowest level since he became opposition leader. Mr Dutton's approval is sitting at minus 28%, down from minus 11% just a month ago. The opposition leader, Peter Dutton, joins us now in Adelaide. Sorry, Pete, that's not exactly the warmest welcome, is it? Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I, I didn't hear what Carl said, but I suspect it wasn't nice, Sarah. He's just that sort of guy. That's... Pretty hectic. Brutal. Um, fair sledge. Brutal. Yeah. A Channel 9 reporter yeah. laughing at him. Like he was nearly the prime minister at one yeah. point and she yeah. is just laughing at him. Yeah. Oh, I, it's The whole thing's just complete shambles. Ken Wyatt has left the party. He's sitting as an independent. He'll vote with them and help them out on a lot of stuff, but he's left the party over the position on The Voice. Bridget Archer, she's threatening to bail as well. And also the Tasmanian Premier, the last remaining Liberal Premier in Australia, has joined the Yes campaign, has been campaigning with Albo for a Yes vote. It's yeah. It's got real, like, reverse Manly 7 vibes for me. Like, significant members of the team are basically just saying... I'm standing down on this one. I'm not part of the team anymore. I yeah. won't participate in this round of the campaign. Yeah, it feels like the marriage equality thing with Tony Abbott again yeah. where people were coming out against him quite publicly and we all know that he had a long, thriving career mm. as a politician after that. It worked out yeah. really well for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, Dutton's saying that internally at a federal level the majority of the party room actually does support voting no and a no campaign. So I wonder if yeah. it's just 
Yeah. Except they're a minority of the parliament. (laughs) Yeah, they're a minority of the parliament. A majority within a minority. So growing smaller by the day with people walking away. Peter Dutton saying, a majority of my friends agree with me. So that's good for him. He can frame it that way. I checked my group chat and all of my friends (laughs) were like, yeah, dude, good one. Yeah. (laughs) I reckon with him, I reckon it's now becoming a little bit clear. Like they, they are talking that he might get rolled even before the end of the year. But I reckon I reckon they might stick with him for a couple of years and let him just basically attack dog, attack dog, and just talk heaps of shit about the Labor Party yeah, and the government. Well, and then a year out just go, okay, now we've got a softer face, someone a little bit more palatable, and just drop him in. Who's to gonna step take up? Because they had floated the idea of Karen Andrews at one point. They mm. floated the idea of Julie and Lisa at one point. Both <laughs> have made it clear that they're not going to do it. So yeah. maybe we'll get Prime Minister Michaelia Cash in five years or six years. Yeah, time. M-Cash. Well, look, Angus Taylor. Angus Taylor's Angus floating around Taylor's in the background being around. like, yes. hey, guys, I'm a Rhodes Scholar. Put me in. Yeah, Rhodes Scholars and Prime Ministers do go hand in hand. So there we go. Yeah. Yeah, I've significantly changed my um, opinion of what the Rhodes Scholarship means over the years. But, um, yeah, don't look too much into Rhodes himself and some of the stuff he did either. It yeah, might kind of consolidate Cess. your opinions. Old Cess is a questionable figure, wasn't he? <laughs> but anyway, that um, where we're at with the Liberal Party. I think that segues us yep. nicely into our next topic, Mr. D or Dave. Yeah, so we're talking the voice to Parliament now. We have spoken about it on this podcast before, but since that last time, there's been a few more details locked in and a whole bunch of opinions put out there. Mm. It is honestly difficult to wade through everyone having their say to get down to what's really going on because everyone's got an opinion on it. What's actually out there as official specifics isn't heaps, but I'll do my best to take you through some of the details of how it will work. So What we know is that the referendum will be held in the final three months of this year between October and December, which means if it does pass, it probably won't be legislated until next year. A couple of weeks ago, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced the official wording of the question, which is a proposed law to alter the constitution to recognize the first peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? The specific details of the voice, like how many members it will have and how they will be chosen, will be decided following a successful referendum. Uh, But there has been some models released which outlines what they'll probably end up as. Mm. To clear out some of the misconceptions about it, the voice will not have a veto power. The members will not be appointed by the executive government. Instead, they'll be selected by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Mm -hmm. communities. They will be accountable to the National Anti-Corruption Commission. There'll be representatives from every state, including five more members from remote areas. Members will serve four-year terms with half the membership determined every two years, and there's a limit of two consecutive terms for each member, which I found interesting considering there's not any sort of term limits Mm. on other political positions. Yeah, yeah. It's like a US kind of thing, isn't it? You can only have two terms at it. But I think it's – and it's worth noting, isn't it, that it's like – the referendum will be on changing the constitution. That's specifically there. And then all those details that you just mentioned about the makeup of the body and everything like that, that comes after the referendum. That comes with basically the government making that. It can then modify it and change yeah. it and do with it what it wants. But that all comes after the referendum. The referendum's is mostly on changing the constitution and do you think there should be a representative body? Yes. Which I think the kind of they've the no campaign's kind of been mixing up a fair bit, and I don't think the yes campaign's been great at 
basically just repeating the same thing. Exactly, yeah. And one more important thing to note is that the referendum does require a majority of votes in a majority of states to succeed. Mm. So it won't win it just by a 90% New South Mm. Wales and Victoria vote and then not much elsewhere. So what The Voice will actually be able to do is to table formal advice in Parliament, which would be considered by a parliamentary committee, but all elements will be non-justiciable, which means that there could not be a court challenge and no law could be invalidated based on this consultation. Yeah. So by my understanding of this, at best, the government will be working closely with members of The Voice to ensure that the legislation and decisions take into account the consequences for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. But at worst, The Voice could essentially be like that one person in the group assignment who no one listens to, but they put their name on the project anyway so that Mm. they can say that they helped out and worked as a cohesive group. Because that's the thing, the government won't actually have to listen to it. They're not bound to listen to the representations made by this body if it's enforced next year and brought into being. Exactly, that's right. Now, obviously, Anthony Albanese has come out in favour of The Voice, although the laws surrounding advertising and political campaigning have been updated to match those of the elections. Mm. So there will be official pamphlets and campaign materials handed out which have to abide by all the regular laws. Mm. The Liberal Party and the coalition opposition have announced that they will be campaigning against it and their campaign will mostly be led by country Liberal Party senator and the new shadow minister for Indigenous Affairs, Jacinta Price. She has described the voice as virtue signalling agenda and racial separatism. She's also claimed that it will lead to an increase in people falsely claiming to be Indigenous Although, to me, I don't understand why they would claim to be Indigenous and what they would benefit from that, especially Mm. considering that when you look at the stats, they would be volunteering for things like lower life expectancy and higher incarceration Mm. rates. So not sure where her logic goes there. And there's only potentially going to be 24 people on this representative body. Yeah. Yeah. Not like everyone gets a seat. Exactly. Um, Senator Price hasn't really offered any alternative solutions to the issues faced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, like those two I just mentioned before. She's offered some vague ideas like supporting jobs and businesses in the Northern Territory and Aboriginal communities, which just seems like she's copied and pasted from the Liberal Party handbook (laughs) and added NT and Aboriginal communities there. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be honest... Jobs and growth, exactly. (laughs) Jobs and growth for Indigenous people. Yeah. But if you look at Jacinta Price, you can kind of see why she may not feel like Aboriginal peoples are too hardly done by, considering she has found it quite easy to find opportunities with stuff like writing for The Australian, speaking on Sky News, consulting for various think tanks, and even releasing music which she has described as a mix of folk, soul, and country. And I would recommend you give a listen. It's uh, interesting stuff. It is incredible stuff, her um, music career. from It's like 10 years ago? She I was think so, yeah, 2012, music. 2014, mm. up to Triple J on Earth. So good to see she's supporting, you know, the yeah. local youth national broadcast. Pretty woke. Pretty Will woke. it Have you heard it, my vote? Mm. Well, it might. That depends. <laughs> Are you into a mix of folk, soul, and country? I can I can go for someone plucking away on an old guitar, but look, I'll have to listen before I give you my official yeah. stance. Just like Michaelia Cash and her stance mm. on the voice to parliament. Maybe maybe it's a Kanye West album PR push. Maybe she's going to be dropping a fire album at the end of the year, launching. Oh, and, you yeah. know, this whole thing's just getting a heap of publicity for her. Yeah, mm. we got to look out for some kind of label as well, some fashion label. So mm, if she absolutely. does that, then we know. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe her whole political career has just been one big uh, sidetrack to support her music career. But on the other end of the same side of the no vote spectrum, there are plenty of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who feel that the voice will not go far enough in fixing real world issues for Indigenous peoples. The framing of this opportunity as once in a lifetime, which was described by Anthony Albanese, has caused concern for many Indigenous activists who feel that their cause might be ignored if the vote wins and politicians will essentially dust their hands and say, job well done, issues facing Indigenous peoples are fixed, um, Mm. despite not really changing tangible outcomes for the Indigenous communities. Um, The Uluru Statement from the Heart outlined a suggested process of voice, treaty and then truth, but there is a growing number of Indigenous peoples who want to prioritise a treaty that could ensure things like political autonomy and tribal governance of land, similar to the treaties signed between the native peoples of New Zealand, Canada and the US. It seems that the overall worry among these activists is that the voice will be just another in a long line of gestures offered to Indigenous peoples that haven't really resulted in actual tangible reform and that it's going to be used against them when they try to campaign for more action. And I can already see the arguments coming from Sky News commentators that will say things like, oh, well, they'll never be happy and they already have the voice. What more do they need? Mm -hmm. So... To be honest, the more I read into this, the more I'm kind of swayed into maybe some of the no vote camp that people like our friend Lydia Thorpe have been uh, prominently advocating for. But it is tough, especially as someone who is just trying to sit their white ass down and listen. Mm -hmm. I don't really know. Obviously, I don't want to be on the side of these conservatives, but also I don't want to be on the side of the people who are symbolically doing it. And there's arguments that can be taken from all sides of camps. I'm a bit confused. I started off as a easy yes, but now I'm kind of treading towards maybe a no, but it's tough. I don't know what to do. Yeah, well, Lydia Thorpe hasn't actually declared no. She said that she has questions and that she needs to listen and think. But she said she hasn't actually, like, said a hard no yet. And mm. it's hard because I think there's going to be a process over the next six plus months where we do just need to listen and absorb. And I say we as non-Indigenous people. Look, it's it's difficult. The Labor Party and the Greens have, in theory, committed to treaty in the future, but they haven't actually, like, given a plan. They haven't said, yep, we'll get voice to parliament and then in five years' time we will have national treaty processes. There are states in Australia that have started treaty processes in Queensland, Victoria, and Northern Territory, but again, those are like we're starting the conversation kind of processes. Mm. They're not putting hard deadlines on this. And so, yeah, those concerns around if this is a compromise or not are very valid and people are concerned that, yeah, you're right, that they get this one thing and then momentum around treaty and other things slow down or become compromised. And then the the other argument is that it's like, Maybe the momentum builds up because we get voice to parliament and then one thing that will be advocated for after that is treaty. So we we can't predict which one will happen. And I think that's why a lot of people yeah. Yeah, have questions. Because I hear what you guys are saying, particularly on the kind of symbolism of it all and what it will actually mean in terms of real change. But on the momentum side of things, what will it do for momentum if we vote no 
as a nation on this referendum. It's not like, oh, we voted no, righto, let's get into a treaty. Like mm-hmm. I can't see mm-hmm. that being the case. Like, yep. If this referendum goes down, it feels like any progress for a significant amount of time is kind of going to be put on the back burner. And I think most people can agree that not enough has been done over the last years and decades. And while this is not going to be a silver bullet that fixes everything, you like you just have to wonder what can it do that will take us backwards. And I don't know, even though, yeah, it might be symbolic and it's not going to do enough and we can't just stop at a representative body if we do go with that, but it feels like that is the way moving forward. And if any of this goes down, this vote goes down, then things like treaty and stuff, I can't see how that gets picked up and yeah, any party concern. wants to run with it after a no vote um, yeah. gets up. Yeah, I do agree with that. And it is kind of evoking the the old line that I've heard Labor say to the Greens so many times that we can't let the perfect be the enemy yeah. of the good. And the last thing I would want to do is stand in the way of progress when it comes to Indigenous peoples in mm. Australia But it almost seems like the way that the no vote camp is so split, there almost needs to be two no options on the card. Like, no, I hate Indigenous people or no, you need to do better than this. That's it. And that's the concern, right, is that if people vote no because they are listening to Indigenous concern, will the far right and, frankly, racist people be emboldened? Mm. by the percentage of no, because when the data comes out, at the end of the day, when the data from the referendum comes out, if it says majority no, we won't know who voted no for what reason within that percentage. And people will use that data Mm. to fight for their causes, including the right and including Mm. the far right. And so I think there is a concern around what is that going to say to the nation, what is it going to say internationally? What does it say to Indigenous people? What does it say to the whole political spectrum and how they use that data for years and years to come? Years, because we're still talking about how we failed the referendum on becoming a republic. That was mm. nearly 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and we're still talking about it. And yeah. it's like, well, we're not going to have a referendum on that soon because we had one. 30 years ago and that was the result. So it's not a low-stakes situation, <laughs> is no, it? <laughs> yeah, I think you're completely right, Les, and the optimistic side of me wants to kind of take this accelerationist movement into being like, well, no, if we really hammer down on making them do better than this, then maybe we'll get a good result out of a no punishment. But the complete opposite is also true, as you've just said, that it's like any sort of political situation. If you drive things to get way worse just so they could get better and everyone will see how bad it is, then you might just end up making things worse again and again and again. So it's real tough. Uh, One thing I just wanted to say is I think it's been very frustrating to watch how much this whole debate's been politicised. Like when you kind of break it down to all of like the elements to it in terms of just a representative body changing the constitution, we're able to modify the representative body. It's just been so politicised over the last few weeks particularly and so blown up and causing people basically to just antagonize each other pick a side start going to war start arguing about all of the different sides and getting so heated and so passionate about it and i think that particularly the liberal party have gone and politicized it and and used 
various examples and jumped on various things to basically drum up as much kind of emotion and passion as possible and to, to insinuate that it's basically a threat to democracy. It's going to be, you know, the, the whole, it's a third chamber of parliament that's basically going to have the ability to change laws and modify this and veto that when they know full well it isn't, right? Like, sure, have discussions about, well, is this going to bring about actual change? Are there better ways to do that? How should we be doing that? But suggesting that it's going to basically, you know, create a body that is going to have control over our parliament and, you know, lead us to basically abuse power, to me, just seems pretty close to just flat out deliberately lying. And that that's the most frustrating thing for me about it all. Do you guys think we've gone too far already in that way? Like, do you think there is an opportunity to have a healthy, robust, respectful debate or has it already gone too far politically? I think it's gone. Yeah, I don't think there's really any way in the media climate in Australia at the moment to have a healthy and safe and... We've already turned the corner. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With the way the media acts in this country, I don't think any issue as controversial and as hot button as this was going to be dealt in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, there's still a long time to go. Too, yeah, yeah, like, that's this is the, yeah, that's towards worrying. the back end of the year. So, I mean, the only thing I think is maybe just in the way that issues become so heated over a certain period of time and then kind of fade away. Like, remember, even a few months ago, we were talking about superannuation. Like, there were people within the mainstream media talking about basically the end of days because of the changes <laughs> to superannuation that was going to affect zero point five percent of the population. That was such a heated debate at the time, and then it kind of subsided a little bit and you know hopefully the next time it pops back up there'll be kind of a bit more reasoned and rational conversations about it maybe that'll be the case with this i don't know yeah i think to try and sum up this whole thing if we're talking between the major parties if the voice does pass it won't be nearly as bad or detrimental to our democracy as the liberal national party are saying it will Mm. be but I also don't think it will be as good a fix and it will benefit Indigenous peoples as much as the Labor Party are saying it will. Yeah. So it is somewhere in between those two. Yeah, fair. We'll move it along now onto the, the Labor Party and we mentioned at the top of the show, Jim Chalmers has got his first big proper budget, big boy Jim. Going to have to get his big boy pants on and figure out what he is going to do with the nation's books because they are well and truly cooked. We know how much we are in debt as a nation and what's happening with that. Basically, the current state of the economy is they're saying inflation has peaked but is unlikely to drop anytime soon. RBA is going to continue raising interest rates by the looks of things. So the housing crisis is probably going to continue on. Wages have essentially gone backwards relatively to inflation and more and more people are sliding towards poverty. Welfare hasn't gone up. And basically everything is getting a whole lot more expensive and a lot more people are doing it tough than they were, you know, two years ago, even a year ago. So basically we're in a big, big hole as a nation, generally as a nation, and everyone is now looking at the Labor government to see what they're going to do to get us out of this hole. If they're going to put a ladder down and start pulling people up or how it's all going to work and... um, they're going to start digging up? Well, there's not that much more for us to dig. We haven't really cashed in on that as a collective nation um, and we haven't really set up to transition from digging to, I don't know, spinning turbines and all that sort of stuff that I'm not particularly across, but we haven't done that. And now they've come out. They've said there's going to be a few things that they're working on in the budget, but basically they're already saying don't expect 
a massive big spending budget that there's going to be goodies in there for everyone and there's going to be all this cash injection and cash splash and handouts that are going to help people and it it seems like it's going to be a pretty grim budget for the first one for Jim which is an interesting one um they've said they're not going to make any changes to individual and company tax reform apart from those super changes that I just mentioned a second ago, which is essentially going to affect 0.5% of the population. Yeah, it really feels like it's one of those Christmases where all of your cousins have like not been able to rock up and your parents yeah. have been like, it's going to be a small Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah. You know, like <laughs> it's the opposite yeah. of the Kevin Rudd Christmas mm-hmm. where it was like, here's a thousand dollars. Yeah. It's the everyone from the extended families together and it's a great yeah. time. And then, you know, mum and dad are even going like, oh, you, you don't mind if we don't get you a present this year. Yeah. You know? Santa's definitely not coming. Yeah. Santa's um, only going to put one thing in the stocking this year and it's mm. probably lip gloss <laughs> yeah or like a bag of jelly beans or some chocolate yeah favorites a box of favorites <laughs> yeah santa's doing it tough um and so yeah they're not changing anything to do with kind of individual or company tax really they've been pretty clear about that they went to the election saying that so they don't want to backtrack but basically i'm not particularly a tax expert unless it comes to knowing what i can claim without receipts on my individual tax return but I know that if we're not bringing money back into the public coffers and money is going out of the public coffers, things start getting out of whack a little bit. So the Labor government's in an interesting position where traditionally they are, they do spend money, they like to inject funding into all sorts of things and they're, rightly or wrongly, they are regarded by the nation as bigger spenders, but we're in a massive budget and there isn't huge amounts coming back into the public coffers and they're not going to be doing anything to bring huge amounts of money back into the public coffers. So Chalmers has said he's not changing any of those things. He's not going to peel back Scott Morrison's $250 billion stage three tax cuts, which you would imagine is quite a bit of coin over the next 10 years because yeah. that's what they're going to cost. That's um, like five orcuses. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of money. So $250 billion a year, which basically 90% of will benefit people on over 180k, the top 10% of society, whether you like it or not. I know everyone has aspirations and sees themselves mm. as one day maybe they'll be. It's good for us K. three. Yeah, 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 really good. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're on those bumper salaries, but yeah, it, it generally affects the real top end of the earning population and isn't really going to change and make any changes to overall 90% of the population, which it's an interesting one, right, that they're not peeling back on this because that would be a massive thing. That would be a massive injection of cash back into the budget. Obviously, like it hasn't gone out, but it would mean they don't need to find money somewhere else. And obviously, they don't want to get pinged with being liars at an election because that's what will happen. If they repeal those changes, then they'll get hit with you made a promise in the election, you lied about it, carbon tax, all that sort of stuff from the last time they were in government. they're obviously very scared about that and I get it. But at the same time, this hasn't been brought in years ago and they're taking it away from people. Like people actually haven't been given this Mm. tax cut yet. It's Mm. not even been brought in yet. So people haven't seen the effects of it. And the world has changed a lot over the last two years. If the Labor Party can't come out and articulate why $250 billion over 10 years to the top 10% of income earners in society is something that maybe should be looked at in these current times, then to quote their, you know, zinger godfather, Paul Keating, God help us. Honestly, like if they don't have anyone who can come out and explain why maybe this is something we should look at and maybe this isn't the fairest thing for us as a society, then 
you wonder wonder what the fucking point is of them being in government. Right? And it's like, only affecting ten percent yeah. of their voting population, many of which wouldn't have voted for them anyway. Yeah, so exactly. I actually don't think it would change many votes because no. if they could if they could articulate it properly and get out there and communicate and say, This affects ten percent of you barely any of you did voted for us anyway like yeah. if they could be on the front line of that message i actually yeah. don't think it would affect their votes negatively in fact maybe it would gain some of those greens voters yeah people who are annoyed yeah. at the labor party yeah. yeah it's weird i don't know about you guys wendell and les but i don't know if i've ever seen politicians so afraid of going back on their word and so afraid of being called liars it just seems like there is so many cases that have happened where politicians will happily go back on something they've said deny it or say mm. that they didn't really mean what they said but now they don't want to be pinged as election liars yeah they're just really adamant about keeping this promise even though it's working against themselves and against most Australians. I mean, I wouldn't normally say take a leaf out of his book, but Trump lies all the time. Like- <laughs> and, he, and he won an election. Yeah, and he it might worked win out another really well one. for him. So. I, I think it comes back to a lot of them being lawyers as well. Like lawyers can't say sorry and they can't go back on their words. But like... Again, how can you just not explain that? Oh, actually, we thought this at the time, but we've changed our opinion. Sorry about that. Um, we're moving on and we're moving forward. Like that's yeah. what normal people do to each other all the time. Yeah, if a Labor government isn't able to kind of articulate these things and change their perception and convey that to a general public, who most people I think would agree with what they're saying on this. Like overwhelmingly, I don't know many people who think this is a good idea bringing about these tax cuts. Anyone I talk to about it, they go like, are you serious? Like, why is that happening? Yeah. That can't be that hard for the Labor government to go, okay, yep, cool. Well, we did say we weren't going to change it, but sorry, times have changed. We are changing it. Especially when Deloitte came out yesterday and publicly declared that they are expecting a consumer recession this year. Yeah. In Australia. So yeah, yeah. Things have changed significantly. And yeah. They're going to continue to change. So, like, yeah, while maybe it wasn't that big a deal a few years ago when it was floated and brought about and brought in, things have changed so much that it feels weird that the Labor Party don't actually back themselves to do it. And if they don't back themselves to actually bring about change like this, you just wonder, like, what are you doing in government? Like, obviously, they are doing different things. We just spoke, we spent a lot of time talking about the voice. But at the same time, something like this as well, you just... Like, why Why are you in government? What change are you trying to bring about if you don't back yourself on something like this? But which goes against kind of the ethos of your party and what your party mm. says that it stands for, which is looking after average working class Australians. But anyway, I'll move on. I Sorry, went on a tangent there. Look, um, the things that they also aren't going to change that have been thrown up at them by economists, raising the GST to 15%, some people have suggested, which that would be just hand over the keys to government come back in 10 years' time if you raise the GST to 15% tomorrow. Yeah, um, during a consumer recession. Yeah, that, that would just – that would be it. Like lock up, come back, give it another go in 10 years' time. Bye. Yeah. Um, Western Australia's preferential $5 billion GSD deal because all the stuff they dig out of the ground, there was calls to end that, which – of course, would make them very, very unhappy. And given how successful they've been over in Western Australia, Supreme Leader Mark McGowan can't see them doing that. And then also there's negative gearing and franking credits. But we know how that ended up last time around. So mm. that's gone in the too hard basket. It just seems like they're building a big pile of things that they've tried before and failed and that they know won't work. <laughs> yeah, sorry, can't do it. It's like, yeah, the husband who kind of like, oh, no, nah, try to do that. It's just too hard. It's just easier if you do it. You know, yeah. we're just going to stick with 
the same same old stuff. Mm, puts the washing on once and somehow breaks the machine and says, well, I guess you're going to have to do it from I tried. now on. I tried. I, I really did. Sorry. Yeah. I really tried. The things that they reckon they are going to change is there's some chat to changing the PRRT, which is like that petroleum resources tax. So basically like they're thinking about bringing in a windfall tax. So for the big profits that have been made on petrol and gas at the moment, they change that to basically get in a bit more revenue, which could be a couple of billion dollars. But again, when you compare that to $250 billion, which is the stage three tax cuts, kind of pales in comparison. Um, They've been talking a lot about changing the NDIS um, no one's really sure how that's going to work. They're talking about leaning more on the states and getting the states to contribute funding and set up separate bodies as well. But there's been a lot of chat from the Labor government about how much budget is being blown on it and where it's spending. And no one's really sure where different areas of the budget are going. That mm. it seems like they're positioning themselves to either tighten up the budget there or make cuts. And or- there's a lot of speculation that a lot of the money that is being blown is because of companies leveraging NDIS to exploit people in a corrupt yeah. way. Yeah. So that's the reform that they're potentially looking at. But yeah. We're just not sure yet. Yeah, and that's hopefully the tightening up side yeah. of the budget rather than, yeah, going and just slashing funding and just saying, well, sorry, we don't have it in the budget to do it anymore. And, yeah, the other thing they're thinking about maybe changing is they have spoken about welfare, but Jim Chalmers has been pretty clear about don't expect any major kind of changes. He shot down a recommendation from his own Economic Inclusion <laughs> Advisory Committee to raise job seeker by 40%, just under a thousand a fortnight, he said, no, nah, that's not happening flat out. Friend of the show, David Pocock, was very unhappy about that. A lot of people are very unhappy about mm. that. But they're mm. obviously looking at the optics of it in the media of not going straight away and raising job seeker and things like that. Yeah, it's weird. I I haven't for a while heard Anthony Albanese talk about how his mother was raised on welfare (laughs) and survived on that. I wonder why he hasn't been bringing that up recently. And then he went to university for free. Yeah, yeah. I, can I give another hot take? I've served a few today. Please, you're on one today, Another one baking ready to go. I just feel like the Labor Party has decision paralysis. Like they will not go hard on economic reform for people who are struggling, the everyday Australian who are struggling. They Mm. are not tackling the cost of living crisis, the housing crisis. And if they don't do anything about it, is anyone going to vote for them again? Like I just feel like if they are so scared to do something bold, they end up being in this position where they do nothing at all. And therefore in a couple of years' time when people go to vote for them, they're not going to have anything to show on their report card. It's just going to be like, didn't do the work. Like, mm. I just don't think that there is a strong point of difference, that there is a strong change in this government that will make f- people feel like, oh, thank God we voted them in. Yeah. And so, therefore, yeah. they're not really riding the wave of Anthony Albanese's high approval rating right now. He's got a high approval rating. So, they mm. could attempt to put through a budget that is riding that wave and going, look at all this cool new shit that we're doing, get excited. But no, they've just kind of done something that will make people be like, oh, well, cost of living's gotten worse, so maybe Mm. I shouldn't trust you. So I I don't know. It just feels like they're missing an opportunity here. Oh, 100%. And they're not going to be able to point at the scandals that are going on in the Liberal Party in three years' time and expect to be elected. No, people will forget. People will legitimately forget that Dutton's had a shit month in three years year's time especially if yeah. he's not the leader by then so yeah <laughs> yeah they are in power they're in charge and yeah, yeah kind of 
what what is the point, right? Like if they're not going to go and bring about change and push forward policies that they claim that they used to believe in or that are supposed to be the ethos behind their party, well then, yeah, like what is the point of being in government? It's just being in power. It's just kind of controlling these things and ensuring that they have jobs. But what is the actual point at the end of the day of it, of being in government if they're not going to do um, significant change, bring about significant change? Well... You got any solutions? What's the point, Dave? Oh, point? I don't know. No solutions. On, it does just seem like, you know, they won this election on what a lot of people were describing as the whole small target strategy, right? Mm, yeah. And now that they're in, as you said, they've got an opportunity to do something big, but maybe they're just kind of blinded in the spotlight having not been in government for so long. And mm. they're a bit like, well, what do we do? Do we just try keep everyone's opinions the same way that they have kind of been? Mm-hmm. But as you said they're not going to remember how bad Peter Dutton was in three years' time. And yeah. I think maybe, I don't know, if there was a better opposition at the moment, would they be pushed to make better policies? If someone yeah. from the Liberal Party didn't have a minus 28 approval rating, <laughs> would they be motivated to be like, oh, shit, we need to actually get off our asses and yeah. do something because yeah. there's a challenge. But yeah, it right. does seem like they almost think that they're going to be running uncontested in, in future elections. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah, and what you're saying there about, like, oh, going small target, and it's like, oh, maybe next year we'll think about it. Mm. Like that classic um, Owen Wilson movie, Hall Pass. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's always like, oh, tomorrow. We'll go out and have a crack tomorrow. We'll yeah. see how I go tomorrow. We've had a lot to eat tonight, and, yeah. you know, the beers are not hidden as well, so we'll try <laughs> yeah, again tomorrow. Yeah, just going to take it easy. It's like a long election term ahead, like, see what they think next year for the budget. Mm. And there was even, I remember... I can't remember if it was just before the election or just after, but there were a lot of things that the Labor Party and Anthony Albanese were saying that wouldn't be the plan for this term in government, but would be the plan for the next term in government. Yeah, yeah, yeah presumptuous. Pretty optimistic there, especially yeah. if you're really not going to do much in this term. Yeah, they're too scared. Everyone is too scared to be the next Julia Gillard. Yeah, like they're so scared that there's going to be a campaign against anyone who makes a decision about something and everything. She didn't do anything particularly radical, by the way. Mm. Like she put some money into education and health and carbon tax and, you know. Yeah, but Les, she lied. She Mm. lied. Well. (laughs) Jewel Iyer. She didn't go out at 3 a.m. and yell at dudes on the street. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, nah, yeah. Imagine if um, yeah, if she was saying her whole famous misogyny speech outside a strip club at three a.m., would it have hit harder or mm. not as hard? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would make for viral TikToks for sure. Yeah. Oh well, we'll see. But this time um, in a fortnight, when we're recording news from the trough again, we'll have a budget in front of us. It'll be the first Tuesday in May, and we can't figure out where we stand on it all and what it all means. I guess. Well, there's nothing for us to have an opinion on yet, because mm. there's nothing interesting being announced (laughs) so true so freaking true so that's where we'll leave it for this week thanks very much everybody always good talking with you great chat today Hmm. it was fun it was a pleasure talk to you soon bye